If you take your Bibles, please, to join us for a Bible study, we're going to to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, Ruth chapter 3, as we continue in this Bible study in the book of Ruth. Let me mention a couple of things before we get started. We're going to have a word of prayer in a moment. We'll mention some of the items that we prayed for. We'll pray for some of the items we mentioned. But let me uh, highlight a couple of different things I want to just mention that I did in announcements. And um, one of those is dealing with a series that I want to start this evening, a series that's called Getting a Grip. What I'd like to do is deal with several different struggles that we have. Some of the the battles, and it's not going to be an expository study through any particular text, which typically is what we do, and so as a result of that, sometimes we don't deal with some of these topical issues, but tonight we're going to deal with, start with one. In the series, I want to deal with a variety of different things that could be jealousies, it could be dealing with just getting a grip on your time, getting a grip on, you know, some different emotions. Tonight I want to start on getting a better grip on your anger, on your temper, and talk about that from the Bible and to help you out. As somebody mentioned to me, when I said that in Sunday school, they came up, they said, there you go, meddling again. Okay, so we'll meddle a little bit this evening. I also wanted to preface the message with this. Almost, uh, it sounds like a disclaimer. It's typically, we go through a passage, and we're going verse by verse, passage by passage. This morning in the study, I want to do something a little bit different. Instead of, we examine the text, and we'll pick it up next week with more of the text. But I want to just do a little bit of laddering out of the text and use the characters in this text for examples to help us in our life. Now, I know that when I preach at times on family things, some people shut me down because they're, they're not in that realm right now. Or when we talk about the idea of couples, then some will say, oh, well, I'm not a couple right now, so they shut down. So this morning when I talk about some of these topics, it doesn't apply to everybody, and yet it'll be good material for everyone here to just be able to use in our own lives, maybe, or in helping other people. So before we get into the study, let's have a prayer together, and let's pray for some of the folk we mentioned. Father, I thank you so very much for the way that you have blessed and giving us this opportunity to get together to study your word. And this morning, as you already know, my fears, my qualms, my apprehensions in this presentation this morning, and it's not the normal way that we do it, it's not the expository way, but Lord, I think there's some valuable lessons that would be helpful for many, many of our, our folk here that I hope will be a benefit to them. Father, I pray especially that you would bless some of our folk who need your blessings. I pray for Kyle and Abby as they share their vows today, help them as they launch off in the, as a new married couple, and bless them abundantly. We pray and thank you for the way you've blessed John and Melissa with a new baby, Olivia. Thank you that she's doing well and they're doing great. Continue to give them guidance. We pray for several of our families. There are some who are watching right now. They're going through some serious, serious different health issues. Some are recovering from surgery. Some are dealing with ongoing terminal cancers that they have to deal with. And they and their wives, their, their spouses, they need help. They need your assistance. We thank especially of Bob this morning with that bad report that he got. And we pray that you would just help him physically, help him spiritually, help him emotionally. And bless Joanne as well. Just encourage their hearts, please, please, please. Father, I thank you for the folk who are here. I thank you the ones that are able to be here in attendance. Help them to be able to listen without distraction. Help them to be able to take away, walk away with some application to their hearts, but as well what they might be able to help out other believers in the days ahead, or their kids, or their grandkids. Let this be of benefit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Last week, I started off this message giving you some illustrations, some very strange different types of engagement stories. Well, in Revel, in Ro- I keep on wanting to say other books, but Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3, we have, starting with verse 1, a really strange engagement. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, is going to advise her daughter-in-law, Ruth, as far as making a proposal. My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with you? And now is now Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens you, you were. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put, out, put thy raiment upon thee, get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down, that thou shalt mark the place where he lies, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what you shall do. And she said unto her, All that you say unto me, I will do. And so what we had last week, this unusual type of proposal, where we have that Ruth goes down, just like her mother-in-law says, goes to the threshing floor where the guy's working at night. She uncovers his feet. You know, so, and she, then when he wakes up, she asks him to marry her. And we were left there with lots of questions. We didn't answer them all. I mean, I, I was silly with the questions, will you know, Boaz's feet ever warm up? You know, those types of things. But some of the questions that were, that were there, that somebody asked afterwards, why did she uncover his feet? Was there something traditional? Was there something significant about it? No. She uncovered his feet for a practical reason. To wake him up. Okay, so after he slept a bit, his feet would get cold and he'd wake up. What did Boaz say and do? That's going to be what we're going to focus on next week. He did say, and we conclude, that he says, I want to work with this, and I'm going to see what happens. But actually, what he said to her was, I'll marry you if somebody else doesn't. Okay, there was another guy in line that we'll talk about. And then what happens is, the question that we're left with, do they ever get married? And if so, what's the big concern about people getting married? They will live... Happily ever after. Did that happen? Okay? And, and if so, does that mean they were a good match for each other? Think about this. Okay? This is very popular in our day and age. Are people compatible? Are they a good match? It's a whole industry that's dealing with this idea of matchmaking people that's become very popular in the United States. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And a lot of people are using it. When you start looking that in America, three out of ten single adults are using different types of apps or different types of dating services. 57% say they had a positive experience. 68% they went on a date with somebody that they met online. 17% of the marriages. Actually, that number this year, this year is 22%. It's gone up. 17% of the last few years of marriages started with online contact. And so it's had good results. But let me do a little bit of precautionary warning with this, okay? There are, there are some dangers to the online services that you should be aware of. And you should warn young people about, parents, please, warn them about that there's ways that different people have used it to take advantage of others. Okay, that we have these different, different statistics that are coming up. The 55% of the people I've used it have had some type of threat. Now, that threat could be against their Internet, could be against their privacy, could be their, identi- their personal ID. But a lot of them report that people who have, they've contacted are really trying to scam them. You know, one out of ten have had that experience. And so the other research that has been done comes down with that those who are doing these online dating services, 51% of them are already in a relationship when they go to the online service. Okay? As well, 12% who are using it are married. 
Okay, that's a pretty serious relationship that they're in. Okay, 57% of the users say that they lie about their profile. Okay, so the person that's being presented, let, let, let's do this for fun. What do you think the ladies lie about? Their weight? Their weight? Their age? Yeah, here's the top three that the ladies uh, lie about on their profile. Okay, what do you think guys lie about? Job? Yeah, here's where the guys lie about. It's the age and height. But mostly the top ones are their income and their marital status. Usually men present themselves with you know, an income. The basic rate is 150000 a year. And most all the guys who lie make themselves to be six foot two or bigger. Okay. That's what the stats are showing, you know, that that's what they're doing, that they're lying about it. And so let, let me just, just on, a, on a counseling note, if I can do this, it's a good tool, but please be careful. There was one pastor that I was reading about his, his um, ministry that he's focusing on. There's a lot of the young adults in the church. And he had this recommendation I thought was absolutely fabulous. He made this comment. He says, use these services for introduction only. But then he went on to make this comment, then spend at least six months in direct physical contact so you can observe the person. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Getting to know how a person will react, will respond to real-life situations. It's great to do long-distance relationships to build up communication, but there's got to be some up close to see what life is really like. And so with that in mind... Here's some of the, the uh, thoughts that we wanted to share, and we know that they're all about compatibility, that they use the word we scientifically. Have you used that word lately? Have you seen that being thrown about? You know, to make somebody sound like they're, they're solid. Science says, and so they use scientifically based ideas, and their key idea, their key focus is, are they compatible? Okay, so let's, let's take this compatibility, and let's ask, what about Ruth and Boaz? Do you think they would have been matched by a modern service? Ruth and Boaz, do you think they were extremely compatible? Let's just, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, let's just throw some things up there about their background. You have Ruth, who is poor. Boaz is, oh, he's a rich guy, he's wealthy. She's from a Moabite background. He's a Jewish background, okay? She, with very pagan religion, a pagan religion, by the way, that sacrifices babies. That was part of the Moabite culture, okay? And so he comes from this Jewish religion. That's pretty stringent, okay, on how that they practice. She's a migrant worker. He's a landowner. She is an individual who's young. We know from the text where he says, you've been showing me real kindness in that you are paying attention to me and not one of the younger men, which indicates that he is older gentleman, okay? She has been married before. He's been single. So he's got a guy who, whatever his age is, he's a bachelor. She's a new convert. We know that he's a mature believer. Okay, we know this. She's unemployed. He's an employer. We know that she lives hand to mouth. He himself is independently wealthy. By modern scientific method, would they be compatible? No. No. And yet when we go through the story, which is absolutely amazing, they focus on what is the most important when you are trying to match up with somebody. They focus on character and commitment. You know, it's not about compatibility, folk. It's about character and commitment. In fact, let me, let me just, you know, touch where I, where I could get in real trouble. God has made us so that we are different. And that that different, we blend together and we complement each other. And so can you imagine 
two people exactly the same? Can you imagine living with yourself? Okay, long term. So that idea of, you know, and I understand the compatibility arguments, but more than, most important from a Bible point of view is character, commitment. And so what I would like to do this morning, I said, is venture off into a different way of just presenting and taking the example of these two people and ask this question. What type of a person is a good catch? Or, let's phrase this personally, am I a good catch? Am I a good catch to keep? Remember, (laughs) remember, the key word here is commitment on your part. Okay, commitment. So as you're sitting here and we're thinking, we're thinking about, okay, there's a number of young adults, teenagers. I want to put this up particularly for you, okay, and do a message that would help you out. And young adults. But parents, this is important for us because, okay, what would we advise? Or am I still a good catch? Okay, am I that type of person? Am I one who is showing character and commitment? So let's say, okay, from the story, let's make some observations from their example. And let's draw these types of thoughts that what we want to do is, what are we looking for in others, for those of you who biblically should be looking? Okay, some of you should not be looking. Okay, but biblically looking. Then what should you be and what should you keep on doing? Okay, Where are we going from it? We're going to do this. The person, good catch, remaining good catch, someone with genuine spirituality. Somebody has genuine spirituality. Excuse me. What I mean by that is this idea of Ruth. She's genuinely spiritual. Pagan background. But remember what she said in chapter 1 to her mom-in-law? Your God shall be my God. Her mom-in-law is telling Orpah, go back to your mother and your God's. Go back to your religion. But she says, I can't do that. I can't do that. Your God is going to be my God. And as the story unfolds, she is going to then leave her homeland, leave her family, all for the idea of commitment to God, commitment to her mother-in-law, which was biblical. And so what she's going to do is she's going to show this, this genuine spirituality of this conversion, of coming to, come to a point where she is believing in Jehovah, and now she is going to follow through. And it's observed. It's seen. Others notice her spirituality. Boaz says to her, May the full reward of the Lord come to you under whose wings you have come to trust. Others are seeing her grow spiritually. And so we have Boaz. Boaz is the same thing, genuine spirituality. We pointed this out, and some of you weren't here when we did, that when he would come and greet his servants, he would say, Jehovah be with you. Jehovah be with you. That may not seem like much to you, but in the day that they're living in, the land of the judges, everybody as a whole, the people keep forgetting Jehovah. Even the Jews are forgetting Jehovah, and every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes, and God has to keep on sending some discipline time and time again. And here's a man who he is so focused on the Lord, it's part of his daily speech. It's a part of his idea that he is saying, the Lord be with you. He says to Ruth, the Lord repay you. It's God that's going to bless you. And he's focusing this young believer, this new convert, to trust in the Lord. You're under his wings. Trust him. He'll repay you. And so he even says to her later on, you know, blessed be the you and the Lord. He's making it a part of his regular speech. He's making it a part of his relationship. So if you ask yourself, is this person a good catch? You got to start here. You got to start. Are they a believer in Jehovah? Are they a born again Christian? The Bible tells us that except the Lord build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. You've got to have not a twosome, but a threesome. It's got to be you, you know, the spouse, and it's got to be the Lord. 
In fact, he warns us that when it comes to marriage, we are not to be equally, unequally yoked. It should be married, bound together with a believer in Christ. So you ask yourself, are they a, do they show genuine spirituality? Are they a believer? Do they talk about God unashamedly? Do they mention him in conversation? Do they follow him? Do they live for him? And you're identifying you know, not just the looks as far as their appearance, but you're saying what type of commitment, what type of character, do they have a Bible, do they read their Bible, how do they respond when it comes to worship, or do they want to be a part of the worship, do they love what Christ loves, his bride, the church, do they get involved, are they serving, and are you like that? Do you remain to be a good catch by the way you're living? That you have this genuine spirituality. Number two, godly priorities. Do they have godly priorities? This is profound when you think about it. Okay, Boaz is attracted to Ruth. Never says anything about her looks. She never talks about his looks. And I'm not saying that, you know, we we shouldn't have any concern about looks whatsoever. We mentioned in Sunday school that God has concern about appearances, even talks about how we dress, things like that. But here in the passage, there's there's no idea that says, okay, you know, what about their, you know, how do they look? And and again, I'm going to say this. I'm not saying marry Quasimodo just because he has, you know, commitment. You know, there is some concern here about, you know, Appearance, but do they have commitment? Do they have character? Well, he describes her, and remember we talked about this, that he says, you are a virtuous woman. This is what attracts me, is your character, your excellent character. And I told you last week, that in the Old Testament, in the Jewish writings, they would end up the book of Proverbs, and the book in their Bible, in the Old Testament Jewish Bible, the book that came after the book of Proverbs 31, was the book of Ruth, demonstrating a virtuous woman. And so here the idea is that that's what she focused on, that's what he focused on. That they were saying, okay, it's what about your godly commitment? Is God a priority in your life? Well, we know that in Naomi, um, Ruth's life, she was committed to following the Word of God. She was committed to saying, I will follow the Word of God, it will be a priority. The reason I say that is this, and it may strike you odd, the Lord do so to me and more if, at, uh, if death parts us. She was very committed to her mom-in-law. And then she goes and arrives in the land of Israel. When it's the harvest season, she gleans until evening. She gleans in the field after the reapers for the next weeks all through the harvest season. And she gleans until the end of the harvest season. That may not seem like much to you, but I think it's a demonstration of her commitment and character. In this regard, did not the Old Testament say... Honor your father and mother. Did not God command to be concerned about parents? Yes or no? The absolutely. Okay, and so you have this principle that you have to show concern and take care of, even to the point that the New Testament heightens and says, if any man does not take care of those of his own household, referring to your elderly relatives in particular, that man who doesn't take care of the elderly, elderly relatives is worse than an infidel. Okay, does this woman work hard to take care of her mom-in-law? The answer is yes. That she is very committed to saying, I will do what God has told me to do in the very simplest of sense. I will be committed to caring for those that are put in my care, elderly parent. In fact, 
Boaz has that same idea of following the word of God. Do you remember she makes this proposal? She says, marry me. And his response, I'll marry you if nobody else does. Well, that's not the way he says it. He says what? There is another Goel, kinsman, who is first in line ahead of me. What, what he's referring to is that, that Old Testament idea that talks about that practice that they would do, that the goel of somebody who was widowed, a relative, could marry the widow and raise up children. It's taken from other passages. Well, what happens is Boaz knows that this is what God said, that it has to be this guy first, me second. He is honest enough to say there's somebody else. I don't know if I would have been that honest. If I was head over heels in that situation, I don't know if I would have paused and said, well, there's somebody else first. I would have said to Deb, let's just run off. You know, that type of, this guy is honest, honest in that sense of godly priorities because he knows that honesty is important to God. God wants honesty from people who will be honest in their relationships. Honest in their work. Honest in what they make commitments to. Honest in the vows and commitments they make. The promises they make. Honesty is important in the word of God. Therefore, Boaz makes honesty a priority in his life. To the point that he says, now wait a minute. Even though I may want something different, I've got to follow the word of God. The word of God that tells me that what I need to do is I need to let this other guy have first dibs. Which... By the way, you and I, this is me. This is me when I read the story. I'd say, if you love her, fight for her. Don't give the other guy a chance. Take him out. Flatten his wheel on his chariot so he can't show up the next day. You know, do something. But the word of God is very clear. The word of God says, this guy is going to have that idea. And he brings, this, this is commendable. He brings his emotions and desires under the word of God. Not just what he feels, what does the Word of God tell me? What does the Word of God tell me I should do in this case? You know, he doesn't run off and get married quickly. He doesn't lie about the other guy. He doesn't rationalize away God's standards. He doesn't say that's an old rule from generations past. He doesn't look for a loophole in the law so he can get his bride his way. Or he doesn't insist on his, his rights. He doesn't say, you know, if it feels good, do it. He is all about this idea that this is what the Word of God says. I want to marry you. I, I, I want to be with you. But I need to follow the Word of God when it comes to our relationship. And she doesn't argue. She doesn't say, yeah, but we love each other. Therefore, we can do something and we can, we can twist the Scripture. She doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. They are committed to saying the Word of God what rules the Word of God has, that's going to dictate how we conduct ourselves, how we operate. So you have to ask yourself these questions. Are you a person who looks for that type of character, that type of commitment? Or are you looking based upon just how they look and only how they look? Do you know if they will follow God's Word? Do they even show a commitment to doing what God says for us New Testament believers? One of the simplest and one of the fastest commitments that is supposed to be done by believers is what? After you're saved, get, get baptized. 
That's what the Word of God says. Does that person say, no, I'm not going to do it. That's an old rule. No, I'm not going to do that because that, you know, I, I, my emotions say that I'm afraid of speaking in public. No, no, no. We let the Word of God dictate how we treat other people, how we commit ourselves, how, you know, what, type of, what type of conduct we have. Let me ask you, in those of you who are already married, is this your character trait in your family? In your relationship. I don't operate by how I feel. I operate by the principles of the word of God. I don't discipline the kids by the way I feel. I discipline them according to the principles of the word of God. I don't respond to my spouse by the way I feel. I respond the way the word of God tells me to. I make God's word my priority. There's a genuine humility in both of these individuals. A genuine humility that what happens in Ruth's life, she is humble enough to get advice from her mom-in-law. The mom-in-law who gave her lousy advice earlier on, go home, go home, go back to your mom, dear gods. I won't do that. I won't do that. I have made God a commitment, and I'm going to follow, and I've got this spirituality. This I'm following the word of God, so I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to take care of you. And that same woman who told her to go away, she is saying to her, she is now listening to her for her counsel. There's a humility in this life of this gal that she even has the humility that when she goes up, to Boaz, she never says, hey, I'm the one who is now talked about in the community. I'm the one who's given up everything. And look how much I've given up to be here. And so look at me, look at me, look at all I've done. She doesn't do that. Boaz has that same type of conduct. Even though he's wealthy, even though he is an individual who is committed to the Lord, he is not condescending. He is not arrogant. He is not proud. In fact, when he walks into the field, he notices his workers. He's polite to his workers. He notices the widows who are gleaning on the field. And he says, according to the word of God, they're supposed to be gleaning. I don't need that extra few bucks to take it away from those people. The Word of God says I'm supposed to be charitable. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow the Word of God. And so he's polite. He's, he's noticing other people. It's not all about him and his barns and his pocketbook. He is interested in people and in his humility. He doesn't brag. He says to her in chapter 3 where he makes this comment. He says in verse 10, Blessed are be you of the Lord, my daughter. You have showed kindness, more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Kindness that she showed to mom-in-law. Taking care of mom-in-law. By the way, the word loving kindness is the word kesed. It's the word we get mercy grace in the Old Testament from. It's the compassion that God has towards people that not necessarily need the compassion. Ruth is very, being very compassionate to Naomi. She's caring for a mother-in-law who when she came back, the mother-in-law didn't speak well of her. I went out full and I come back into the land with my daughter-in-law, but I come back empty. What a slam on Ruth. And yet she is lovingly, kindly doing chesed, taking care of mom-in-law, in just a sweet spirit. Well, here is Boaz. He says, you showed that loving kindness, and now you're showing even more loving kindness. Is he referring to himself? Well, if he is, there is great humility. I don't deserve kindness. You know how people ask, how you doing? One of the ways that I wish I would respond better than I deserve. Well, that's Boaz. Boaz is saying, you are showing me more kindness than I deserve. What could he have done? You know what? By proposing to me, you're a pretty smart girl. I'm wealthy. I got land. I got... I'm a good catch. 
Now, nobody we know would talk like that ever. If somebody does, they're not a good catch. If they are an arrogant individual that has to constantly boast about what they do to keep on impressing, my friend, not a good catch. Be a type of person that shows real humility. Well, by doing that, be a type of young person who is going to be teachable. You know, I, I, I think this is, this is a wise principle of life. You want to know how they're going to treat you in the future? How do they treat their parents? Do they listen to advice? If they don't listen to the advice of their parents, they're probably never going to listen to your advice. You're going to have a one-way street. That's going to be frustrating. You know, so are they teachable? How do they take the advice? Are they a person who is given to pointing out their own successes? Do they have to show you all their possessions? Do they have to brag about their achievements? Are they a person who really compliments other people and is focused about other people? Or do they have to get other people's attention? Are they an individual that they have to be noticed? You know, this can be tough. How do they treat people who are less than them? Now, take those questions and ask yourself, those of you who are in a marriage relationship, is this the way you're acting? Are you humble enough to take advice from your spouse? Are you humble enough to admit a mistake? Are you humble enough that you don't have to always get it your own way? So we would talk about another characteristic, moral purity. I don't want to develop this more than what I did last week. I spent several minutes on it where he says, tarry this night. And some have abused the text where she says, you know, that, you know, cover me with your skirt. And they say, oh, that's a very inappropriate. And we'd point it out. No, that's very customary. Cover me with your talith, your garment. It was part of a wedding ceremony to show that, hey, you know, I'm going to come under your under your care and protection. And so she's asking, basically, will you marry me? Will you bring me under your protection? And that idea that she was at his feet, we talked about all their purity and how it was, the passage just, just absolutely explodes with how these two are trying to follow the Word of God, trying to be pure, trying to be honest. And besides, we told you that according to the rules at that day, if they had any kind of physical relationship, he could never marry her. According to the rules of the Goel, it was impossible. He would have jeopardized that. He would have jeopardized their lives, her life. They, would have, they could have been put to death. No, that's not in this story. They were morally pure. And so here's a principle that talks about how they loved one another, but they maintained their purity. You, in your relationship, in a premarital dating relationship, remain morally pure. Do not sin against God or against the other person. And if the person that you are being attracted to is insistent on trying on the shoe before we buy it, we have to have physical relationships before we buy the, you know, into marriage. Dump them. My, my best biblical advice is run from youthful lust. You remain pure before God as an individual. And man, demand that in the relationship. If they can't wait for you in that area, you're going to have troubles later on. Remain morally pure. The person who is kind and respectful. I already mentioned this. That this guy is very respectful. You got, you got Ruth. She's a grown woman. She's asking mom-in-law, is it okay if I go to the fields today? 
She's an individual that she's saying to the reapers, is it okay if I work in the fields? She doesn't, doesn't just assume. She's very polite in that regard, kind. She refers to Boaz in a respectful fashion. I am not advocating that, Deb, when we go home, you start calling me my Lord. If you're really led by the Spirit to do that, uh, I won't, uh, won't oppose it. But this idea of just being respectful, being respectful in, in the speech. Boaz, very respectful to the co-workers. And then you have Boaz, very respectful and kind towards Naomi. Here, take this to your mom-in-law. He gives her extra gleaning from the, from the fields. And so the question that is very important, and I find this very interesting that people don't observe this. How do they talk about you now? How does this person talk to you now? Are they demeaning to you now? In their teasing, do they keep doing it even though you've asked them to stop? Do they speak respectfully of you now? Or is it, woman? I mean, I use that as an illustration, but when I hear somebody do it, I want to walk up and bop them. You speak to the gal you're dating, you say, woman, hum. It's like, where's your club that you're going to belt her with? If anybody has a club, she should have it. Yeah, if he is going to talk about you or if she is going to talk about you degrading, downgrading now, it's not going to get better after you say, I do. And you are going to resent it. It will eventually haunt you. Make sure that they are considerate and kind, polite, gentlemanly, ladylike in this time. How do they speak about their family? How do they talk about their, their you know, household? How do they speak about other people? You know, do they even talk? I know, Deb, I know you're gonna, you would like to amen this one. Okay. But if you're dating somebody and they will not even talk, what do you think is going to happen when you put the ring on? You're going to all of a sudden you know, drop a quarter in, they're going to start talking? It's not going to happen, right? That's right. Okay. But you're committed. Remember, even though we don't. The reason I say that is when I go home, I don't want to talk because I talk all day. And then she says, you talk to everybody else. And it's like, I did. I'm all talked out. And she says, but you need to talk to me. I'll listen while I watch the Vikings. (laughs) But as you're evaluating individuals, as you're evaluating, you got to say, do we communicate? Do we talk? And we can joke about it, but do we talk? Do we talk in reality? Okay, Somebody of generosity, characteristic of generosity. The Bible is replete with passages that say you need to be a generous person. You've got to be a generous person. Well, here we have this passage that even when he says, okay, I'm going to marry you, what does he do in verse 15? Hey, take your veil off, I'm going to give you even more stuff. And so he's showing, and he says, don't go home empty-handed to your mom-in-law. And so he's generous, not only to her, but even to her family members. And this is so biblical. Look at multiple passages that say generosity, giving. And I've just selected just a very few, how God will bless somebody who's generous. You want blessings in your relationship down the road? You want blessing in your family? Make sure that the person you're yoking up is a generous person is one who shows that generosity towards other people. So you ask the questions. Are they sensitive? Do they share their possessions? You know, what is their goal in life? Is their goal just to make money? You know, and that's not a bad thing to make money, but is their goal just to make money? Okay, what does God warn us about money? The, is the root of all evil. 
The love of money is the root of all evil. God says that he has made us wealthy, and we are compared to the rest of the world, for one reason, so that we may give. So that we may give. We can be generous to other people. And so we pay our bills, we take care of our family, but we're supposed to be generous. And so you ask the question, do they show a spirit of generosity? Do they show a spirit of contentment with where they're at, what God has given? If they're not content with the way you... where hey, you're taking them out. You said, I'll pay for the date. But if they're not content with what you're providing, what's going to happen later on? Are they going to be content with what you provide later on? So you've got to be very, very careful. Are they hardworking? Do they give to God's programs? You who are married, do you show generosity even now? Let me give you another characteristic. One who keeps their word. One who keeps their word. It's all about commitment. Commitment in the sense that they're committed to God, keeping their word to God. He says, I will do. When she makes a proposal, he says, I'm going to do it. If that guy doesn't, I will. But he's going to instigate. He's going to initiate, as we'll see next week. He, the very next few verses, he gets up the next morning and goes to the gate of the cities. He is do, doing what he said he would do. He is keeping his word. So you take all of these and go, hey, wait a minute. Okay? What about that couple? What about us? What about me? If God blessed them, I want God's blessing. So what do I do? Okay, then you emulate some of those same virtues, some of those same character traits. You say, I want to have this same type of commitment to God, where I will follow the word of God despite my feelings. I want to have the same type of character that is compassionate to other people, that isn't all about me, but it focuses on other people. I want to have the same type of commitment that says I'm going to keep growing in the Lord. I'm going to encourage others to grow in the Lord. I'm going to have a commitment that I will keep my word. I will do what I say so as to make this thing work. And then we made this comment at the beginning. You say, okay, where do we go with that? That's the type of person you go finding. Find somebody with those traits. He that finds this type of a woman finds a good thing. And I think vice versa. You find this type of guy, good. Good. You got a real good foundation laid. This is the type of person you want to be. You want to be that good catch. You want to be the individual that is spiritually attractive and committed. You want to be the type of person that says, I'm going to work at this in my marriage, and I am going to keep a spouse who is like that. I am going to remain committed. I am going to do my best to make that person happy who shows that type of character trait. Is that you? The broad spectrum of people here this morning, what part of the sandal do you put on to say, this is something that I need to work on? This is something that I need to do.